Hello, David Oakes here and welcome to Trees A Crowd, a podcast that is currently exploring the science and the silliness behind our country's native trees. A podcast that is hopefully maturing like freshly cut wood in the natural history section of the Bodleian Library. Now, this week's tree is one of my favourites. It's a proper summer plant, so a perfect topic for discussion in early December. But in her modern herbal, and I think it's fair to say that botanically speaking, 1931 still counts as modern, Maud Grieve says about this week's tree. It has been said, with some truth, that our English summer is not here until the elder is fully in flower and that it ends when the berries are ripe. Yes, today's tree is the signifier of summer. Come on, summer. Today's tree is tree number 53. The Elder, Sambucus nigra. Uprooting the secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the British Isles. Elder can be found in many regions of the world and throughout Britain, with the exception of the extreme north. It's not a particularly large tree, reaching only about 10 to 15 metres in height, but it is the largest of the three native British trees that all belong to the Vibernaceae. More on the other two next week. Now, all of our Vibernaceae trees were, until a few years ago, members of a family called the Adoxaceae. But things have undergone a little reclassification lately. Meeting like some super-secret science society, there's a group of international botanists called the Angiosperm Phylogeny Group, or APG for short. They regularly meet up and attempt to establish a consensus on plant taxonomy, one that takes into account all ongoing, recently discovered scientific discoveries. And perhaps, unsurprisingly, they don't always find themselves in complete agreement anyway. I mention this to remind you that our understanding of botany is an ever-shifting one. In most respects, our knowledge is ever-expanding, and the sum of human experience should be a justifiably constant reassessment of historical misbeliefs. More on that in a bit too. All of our three tree members of the Vibernaceae can be recognised as being related by their serrated leaf margins, and they're always arranged in opposite pairs, with the elders being present as compound leaflets that resemble that of the ash tree, although elders are smaller and usually fewer in number. The elder presents stunning umbels of creamy white, highly scented hermaphrodite flowers that, when pollinated by insects, become inky purple-black sour berries. Elder comes into leaf earlier than many other trees and shrubs, helping it establish quickly on the edges of dense woodlands. Its dark purple buds, bursting early too to reveal green and purple leaves, often get caught by the frosts, which can make the tree look rather shabby. Now, this appearance isn't exactly helped by the fact that Elder also supports the second greatest number of epiphytic mosses, exceeded only by the ash, and it hosts a huge number of lichens too. The richness in supporting epiphytes is in part due to elder bark having the highest water-holding capacity of any tree on my 56-ish strong list. And as I've already exposed my ardour for epiphytes in earlier episodes, you should not be at all surprised that this attribute alone makes elder one of my absolute favourite trees. Rabbits 
Badgers and many other small mammals are partial to eating the inky elderberries, whilst the elder, for reasons I shall explain shortly, is particularly tolerant at being nibbled by the aforementioned rabbits, badgers et al. Which means two things. One, elder trees can often be found near to warrens and sets, seeds having been transported there via the animal's digestive tracts. And two, once there... Elder saplings benefit from the nitrogen-rich brown bunny nuggets or mustaloidal manure muck that our furry friends have left in their stinky wake. For elder can very frequently be found thriving on particularly fertile ground, and by fertile, I mean earth that is notably rich in nitrogen. Now, correlation doesn't always mean causation, but this abundance of nitrogen-rich soil and the presence of elder trees, as with rabbits and badgers, often correlates with the presence of historical human settlements too. My thinking is that humans means poo, poo means nitrogen, nitrogen means elder, but I think it also goes further still. I think you can complete the circle. I think that elders draw the attention of humans. Then, as already stated, humans means poo, poo means nitrogen, nitrogen means more elders, and then elder lures yet more humans, etc. ad infinitum until the humans pay paradise to put up a parking lot. The frequent proximity of elder trees to humans, or should that be humans to elder trees, highlights that our relationship with the tree has been a particularly successful one. The 17th century sylvologist John Evelyn called the elder a kind of Catholicon against all infirmities whatever. For the record, a Catholicon is a 13th century Latin dictionary. Lord knows why he didn't just say that. Anyway, normal folk have been referring to the elder for centuries as the medicine chest of the common people. Evelyn said, If the medicinal properties of its leaves, bark and berries were fully known, I cannot tell what our countrymen could ail for which he might not fetch a remedy from every hedge, either for sickness or wounds. And he is not wrong. The bark of the elder can be used as a purgative, the leaves help with headaches, a tea made from their flowers is anti-inflammatory, and the vitamin C-rich berries are said to have some antiviral benefits. The list of health benefits, traditional, folklorical, and contemporarily scientifical, is a huge one. Now here are just a few healthy tidbits from some of my favourite flower people. First up is someone who shockingly hasn't appeared on this podcast yet, the 17th century herbalist Nicholas Culpepper. Then it's the botanist who opened today's episode, the 20th century Maud Grieve, and then my Elizabethan pin-up himself, John Gerard. So to kick us off, here is Nicholas Culpepper. The first shoots of the common elder boiled like asparagus, and the young leaves and stalks boiled in fat broth, doth mightily carry forth phlegm and collar. Elderflower water in our great-grandmother's days was a household word for clearing the complexion of freckles and sunburn. It is the eau de sirop of the continent, sirop being the French name of the elder. Every lady's toilet table possessed a bottle of the liquid, and she relied on this to keep her skin fair and white and free from blemishes, and it has not lost its reputation. The leaves of elder boiled in water until they be very soft, and when they are almost boiled enough, a little oil of sweet almonds added thereto. Then taken forth and laid upon a red cloth or a piece of scarlet and applied to the hemorrhoids or piles as hot as can be suffered, and so let to remain upon the part affected 
until it be somewhat cold. And there you have it, whether phlegm-relieving roots, complexion-refining flowers, hemorrhoid-calming leaves, or the historical herbalists that recommend all these treatments, it is always important to respect your elders. So why is this? Hopefully, if you've been listening to the last few episodes, you should already have a pretty good idea. But as with pretty much every single one of our asterid plant species, that's each tree I have explored from the dogwood onwards, the elder is full of exciting chemical potential. But that also means that prepared inappropriately, most of the elder tree is also toxic to us. Elder leaves, for example, contain cyanogenic glycosides. These break down when the leaf is damaged and release hydrogen cyanide. This cyanide is not only toxic to us larger mammals, but it means that the elder leaves are also unpalatable to most invertebrates too. Because of this, elder supports only few species of leaf-eating insects, and as such the insects that would feed upon those insects, and so on all the way up the food chain. The leaves ultimately aren't great for supporting much biodiversity, but it is worth adding that being particularly rich in nitrogen, when the leaves fall, they decay rapidly, brilliantly fertilise the soil and help support many other plant species and a dynamic revitalization of the surrounding area. This leaf unpalatability meant traditionally horses' harnesses were dressed in elder flowers. For prettiness, sure, but mostly to keep the flies away. Scrunched up elder leaves too, when rubbed upon your neck or face, was seen as a wonderful, traditional and natural midge and mosquito repellent. And pregnant women were even warned against treading upon fallen elder leaves in case the bad odour released might bring about a miscarriage. And unsurprisingly, from the folk science of cyanide-emitting leaf funk, folklore runs amok. Plant an elder at home to keep out the devil. Bury the dead with elder branches to protect them from witches. Plant elders near dairies slash bakeries to help milk slash bread from turning slash going stale. And don't, whatever you do, linger too long beneath an elder tree, for dozing there will see you carried off in your dreams to fairyland, etc, etc, etc. In fact, the elder is so interwoven with folkloric-inducing emotions of fear and respect that eventually this tree, the elder with magical powers, became a person in her own right. Emanating from Scandinavian folklore, the elder is said to be inhabited by a tree spirit, the Hildemore. Here she became known as Lady Elhorn or the Elder Mother, she oversaw much of one's rural existence. It was she who protected the elder and acted as guardian to the whole forest. But whether the Hildemore was a dutiful eco-guardian or a malign hag sworn on revenge, all depended upon what you wanted from the forest and indeed if you asked permission for it. The German iteration, Frau Holler, had German foresters asking permission before attempting to harvest her forest. They would remove their hat, take a knee, and say, Old girl, give me some of thy wood, and I will give thee some of mine when I grow into a tree. Only then would they dare to take up their axe. But back to the stench. In parts of Dorset, the traditional name for the elder was God's Stinking Tree, and in his Cymbeline, Shakespeare intertwines the stinking elder with themes of grief. But what does grief 
and the Christian Lord God Almighty have to do with our elders' pong? Well, it's a conflation of two accounts of the final moments in the life of Judas Iscariot, both written around 70 or 80 years after Judas's death. Firstly, according to St Matthew's Gospel, Judas, shook to the core with grief following his betrayal of Jesus, went off and hanged himself, hanged himself upon, supposedly, a poor, unsuspecting elder tree. Shakespeare highlights this half of the story in the final act of Love's Labours Lost. It's one of those incomprehensible Shakespearean jokes that flies way over the heads of modern theatre audience and surely must have baffled his contemporary groundlings too. It is the nichest of niche witticisms and takes the form of an old man, Holofernes, being cruelly heckled as he attempts to perform a play all about a different Judas, Judas Maccabeus, who, for the record, didn't hang himself upon an elder. Anyway, drumroll please, here is Shakespeare's best, in inverted commas, elder joke, and it goes a little like this. Judas, I am... The more shame for you, Judas. What mean you, sir? To make Judas hang himself? Begin, sir, you are my elder. Well followed. Judas was hanged on an elder. Hilarious. Anyway, the second source, the one that adds an aroma to the Judas Elder narrative, was written by Papias of Hierapolis. He wrote that Judas did not die outright from the hanging, rather that he was cut down from the elder tree and died a slower, stinkier death. But before I quote him, I just want to make it very clear that what I am about to say was written by a priest. So, according to Papias of Hierapolis, Judas became a terrible walking example of ungodliness in this world, his flesh so bloated that he was not able to pass through a place where a wagon passes easily. His genitals appeared more loathsome and larger than anyone else's, and when he relieved himself, there passed through it pus and worms from every part of his body. He finally died in his own place, and because of the stench, the area is deserted and uninhabitable. To this day, one cannot pass that place without holding one's nose. So great was the discharge from his body, and so far did it spread over the ground. Lovely. But there you have it. That is the story behind Judas's stinking tree. The Elder. One of the fungi often found growing upon the elder, as a result of this pleasing little tale, was given the name Auricularia auricula judae, aka the Judas ear fungus. It grows from the branches, looking like a large wobbly gelatin ear. Now, traditionally, this fungus was commonly called the Jews ear fungus, but for belated political correctness, it is now more often referred to simply as the jelly ear fungus. Using its anti-Semitic name, John Gerard praised this particular fungus for its medicinal properties. It helped taketh away inflammations of the mouth and almonds of the throat, he said. But Gerard was wrongly of the belief that the fungus was in fact part of the tree itself. So that's two examples, one botanical and one racial, of how we've since corrected slash are still attempting to correct our knowledge over time. Sadly, 
Plants are named by humans and as such are often undeservedly branded with our failings. The jelly ear fungus is just one example. Brazil nuts too had a truly appalling colloquial name. And the plant known to botanists as Citrus hystrix, a plant whose leaves are used greatly in Thai cuisine and are readily available in most supermarket spice aisles, looks destined to be renamed soon too due to its common names connotations in certain parts of the globe. Now, speaking of names, no one is entirely sure how the elder got its name, but what seems most likely is that it comes from the Anglo-Saxon eld, A-E-L-D, which means fire. The soft, pithy core of elder twigs can be hollowed out and used as bellows to invigorate a waning fire. The soft core also led to its use for making pipes, whistles, and even pea shooters. As such, the elder was also known as the pipe tree, or boar tree. In fact, this usage was once so synonymous with elder, and so widespread, that it led Nicholas Culpepper to say, It is needless to write any description of the elder, since every boy that plays with a pop gun will not mistake another tree for the elder. That said, the wood itself makes poor fuel. You may recall Lady Celia Congreve's firewood poem from a few episodes back that said, Make fire of elder tree and death within your house will be. Well, the soft core and abundance of sap means that elderwood spits and screams when ablaze, leading to yet another supernatural belief, that the devil or Judas or the Hildemore could see you and that they were screaming curses of revenge through the blazing wood. And so, to bring us to a close, despite many negative connotations, the elder is a wonderful force for good in our countryside. The flowers provide nectar for a variety of insects, and the berries are eaten by a huge array of birds, and, as previously mentioned, a large number of mammals. Many small mammals, such as dormice and bankfoles, even eat both the berries and the flowers. The berries are one of the first in the forest to ripen, and their popularity can inadvertently have a negative impact on the dispersal of other fruit-bearing species that, as a result, can tend to be neglected. Elderberries are just too damned tasty, and not wanting to miss out on this party, humans have been making elderflower and elderberry drinks for centuries. Indeed, upon occasion, it may have got the British into a bit of trouble. Elderberries, once cooked to remove their toxicity, are used to make elderberry wine. But as well as this, in the 1700s, English hucksters would flavour this elderberry wine with vinegar and with small amounts of port and sugar to impersonate the pricey clarets from the continent. Similarly, in Portugal, cheap port could be mixed with elderberry juice to pass it off as the classier tawny port, leading to the cultivation of elder trees being made illegal in Portugal in 1747. But in a peculiar twist of fate that ties everything up so nicely, these criminal acts of impersonation could have actually saved a life or two. So here is one final extract from Maud Grieve and her splendid modern herbal. In 1899... An American sailor informed a physician of Prague that getting drunk on genuine old dark red port was a sure remedy for rheumatic pains. This unedifying observation started a long series of investigations, ending in the discovery that while genuine port wine has practically no antineuralgic properties, the cheap stuff faked to resemble tawny port by the addition of elderberry juice often banishes the pain of sciatica and other forms of neuralgia. 
And that's that. The elder, a tree you can drink, and a tree that through drinking will keep you healthy, unless your name is Judas. And I didn't even have time to say how traditional Harris tweeds used elder trees to make their dyes, the berries producing blue and purple, yellow and green coming from the leaves, and the bark offering up greys and black. A striking, stinking, life-saving tree. Thank you to Deirdre Mullins, to Pete Basham and to Adam Ewan for their voices this week. And thank you very, very much to you all for listening. And I will be back in a week with two further members of the Vibernaceae, the Gilda Rose and the Wayfaring Tree. Goodbye for now. Bye bye. Up who the secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the British.